We'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for January 27, 2013. This is part three. Continuing with where we left off, now some Bible verses relating to what we were talking about in part two. Revelation uh, 13.11 And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Now, remember, I started out this study where we gave the quote from the astronomical uh, Catholic dude. Who said that we're gonna, you know, we're gonna have to rewrite, we're gonna have to do a rereading of the gospel in the light of the new information these ascended master devils who are claim, gonna claim to be our creators are gonna present us. Is essentially what he's saying. So I gave you then my teachings and my table of contents for a lot of them. Now I'm going back to how does that quote that we read from that uh, Catholic astronomer, how does that fit into the end times? How does that fit into the Word of God? All right, let's let's read. Revelation 13, 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon, and he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. Now, this is the false prophet. This is the, the, the other beast, okay? He's going to cause all them that dwell on earth to worship the first beast. Because Satan's all about worship. He wants worship. He wants to be like God. That's why he's so obsessed. We're supposed to give our true worship to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Father God, okay? And Satan is obsessed with being worshipped. So, the false prophet's going to cause all them in the earth which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose wound was, whose deadly wound was healed. Okay, when he gets the assassination attempt, or however that goes down. Next verse. And he doeth great wonders... This is the false prophet. So that he maketh fire to come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Noah, it's, it's about wonders. People are going to wonder, wow, look at this power. Oh, how can I go against this? Oh, I'll fall down and worship this. This is what it's going to be like. Okay? Just because of these satanic parlor tricks they're pulling. And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles. Understand, that's going to be the main backbone of how the deception is going to occur. How the strong delusion is going to happen. Which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. For there shall arise... Okay, Matthew twenty four twenty four confirmation of this. Jesus Christ says, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders. Again, here we go. Insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So don't ever think, don't, the Bible talks about not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. To consider the pit from which you were dug. Okay, don't get prideful. Because that's an abomination in the sight of God and pride will blind you just like it blinded Lucifer when he fell. When he thought he was going to go and usurp God. And then he became Satan. Pride will blind you. So don't ever think that you're, you're above being deceived. Because if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. These false prophets and false Christs. 
Mark 13.22, for false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect, which is a reiteration of Matthew 24.24. 24. Signs and wonders. What are the Catholics obsessed over? Signs and wonders. What are so many false religions obsessed over? They'll sell their soul for a sign and wonder most of the time, from what I've noticed. Because it's, oh, it's, it's supernatural, it's real, I've seen it, I can touch it. Or whatever. They'll sell their souls for that and just uh, toss aside the word of God, which warns about this garbage, all through it. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Jesus Christ said that. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Now, God can do signs, but it better line up and confirm the word of God. And it's not something that you should primarily be, like, basing your life on, like a lot of Pentecostals and Charismatics do. I've been there, done that. And they're some of the most deceived people I've ever been around. Love a whole bunch of them. But I'm telling you, I'm sorry, (laughs) they've been hoodwinked, a lot of them. Tons, most. Revelation 13, 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. And that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. This is how important worship of the Antichrist is going to be. It's going to be life or death. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. This is most likely going to be a some type of tattoo in conjunction with a microchip. I've, I've done two or three teachings on this. Just key in mark in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com where I get into this. It's probably going to be both. Because it's going to have to be a mark that somebody can identify and look at you and see if you're a follower of Satan. Okay? But the internal componentry with a microchip will be able to process bank accounts and these types of things. So I I think it's going to be a a conjunction. 666 type mark. Anyway, something or some derivative of that. And that no man might buy or sell save that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is six hundred three score and six, or six six six. Going to Revelation fourteen nine, we skip ahead a little bit. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, "If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in their forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God." which is poured out with, without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, capital L, meaning the Lamb, the, Jesus Christ, the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God. So, don't believe what Left Behind series is telling you, well, just you could take the mark of the beast, but if your heart wasn't really in it, no. You want to go? To hell in the lake of fire, you take the mark of the beast. There's no, there's, I don't believe there's any other remedy for that. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image, and whoso receiveth the mark of his name. 
Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. Remember, so much of this boils down to faith. They shall come him, you know, they shall overcome him by, you know, the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. This is how we overcome. The word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. And loving our lives not under the death. This is how we overcome the beast, the Antichrist. Next verse. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, meaning they died saved. They died in the Lord. They endured to the end. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Their works are not going to be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ because they were pure works. The Bible talks about the judgment seat of Christ and having your works tried. Wood, hair, stubble, burned up. Precious, you know, silver, precious stones and gold will not be burned up. They will be works that will endure. Some will be saved, yet so as by fire. Meaning the works are going to be burned up, but they themselves will be saved. But with no rewards. Probably, that would probably be me. Because, <laughs> you know, if I got what I deserved, i get death and hell. Is how I pretty much look at it. So, um, anyway, going back to the main report. Okay? The stories and legends extending <clears throat> as far back as the beginning of time in every major culture tell the astonishingly consistent story of God's... Now, remember, this is the main report, and I started out with that quote from the Catholic theologian, dude. Okay, the astronomer guy. Stories and legends extending as far back as the beginning of time in every major culture tell of the astonishingly consistent story of gods, quote gods, small g, that descended from heaven and materialized in bodies of flesh. Our working hypothesis is that so-called extraterrestrials are nothing new. Indeed, they have been with us all along. They appear in our literature as far back as records extend. In some of the earliest documents, we see a diverse population of strange entities created by the gods. For instance, in the Akkadian epic of creation, we read of the chaos monster Tiamat, employing a host of oddities. And this we read, quote, She deployed serpents, dragons, hairy hero men, which is kind of my favorite, the hairy hero men, um, lion monsters, lion men, scorpion men, mighty demons, fish men, bull men, bearing unsparing arms, fearing no battle. This is where we get all these Greek legends of the minotaurs and the half whatever and half this. We're going to be looking at this. Where did all the, oh, there, there's no basis in fact of any of that. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, they just have all these ancient writings saying this and... Yeah, we're going to be looking at this in detail. As the cuneiform tablets recount, the deity, Enaki, believed correctly that Absu was planning to murder the younger deities, and so captured him, holding him prisoner. This angered Kingu, their son, who reported the event to Tiamat, whenever upon she fashioned eleven monsters to battle the deities in order to avenge Absu. These entities are recorded in the earliest records and find astonishing parallels in later literature. From the Sumerians through the Akkadians to the ancient Hebrews, these legends have remained consistent. Later, ancient Greek and Roman myths were populated by gods, heroes, and demons. Thus, from Rome to Greece and before that to Egypt, Persia, Assyria, Babylonia, and Sumar, 
The earliest records of civilization reveals an era when powerful beings known to the Hebrews as watchers and in the book of Genesis as the Benai Elohim or the sons of God, this is in Genesis 6 where it says the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. Okay, These are the angels that fell there. The sons of God descended to earth, mingled themselves with humans, and gave birth to part celestial, part terrestrial hybrids known as the Nephilim, or fallen ones, as, is, as that word is defined, the underlying Hebrew for the word giants, is Nephilim, which means fallen, fallen ones. When the sons of God saw the women's beauty, they took wives from among their sire, from among them to sire their unusual offspring. In Genesis 6-4, we read the following account. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. What do you mean after that? After the flood, when they all be killed? Well, most likely more angels fell. Where do we see that promised land? (laughs) You know, Og of Bashan, the king. All these giants that David battled. These types of things, okay? promised land, we are grasshoppers in their sights. These were giant. These were giant races. Okay, so, there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that when the sons of God came into the unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became men, which were of old men of renown. Now, my teachings I've done on this subject, I give you a whole bunch of them right here. I'll just give you the titles of some of the teachings. The Return of the Nephilim, Hollywood, Preparing the Way, Strong Delusion, ETs, Aliens, UFOs, Nephilim, and the Grenada Treaty. Ooh, what's that? You might want to click on that if you don't understand how our government is yoked up with these entities. And has been for decades. Then, the next one, Subterranean Secrets, Underground Bases, and the Nephilim. Uh, Next one, UFO Aliens, Fallen Angels, Nephilim, and the Days of Noah. Uh, Nephilim, Sons of God, Fallen Angels, Demons, Evil Spirits, Tartarus. Sons of Seth, Daughters of Cain. Get into all that stuff. Okay? And so you can click on that if you like. When this scripture is compared to with other ancient texts, including those by early church fathers, the firmly held ancient belief becomes clear that the giants of the Old Testament, such as Goliath, were part human, sometimes part animal, part angelic offspring of a supernatural evil origin. The first century Romano Jewish Jewish historian Flavius Josephus described part of the story this way. Quote, For many angels of God accompanied with women, for many angels of God accompanied with women and begat sons that proved unjust. These are the giants. And despisers of all that was good on the account of the confidence they had in their own strength. Pride. For the tradition is that these men did what resembled the acts of those whom the Grecians called giants. But Noah, now remember, this is like old English kind of we're quoting here. But Noah was very uneasy at what they did and being displeased at their conduct, persuaded them to change their dispositions and their acts for better. But seeing they did not yield to him, but were slaves to their wicked pleasures. I mean, they were just wicked. There was no hope or redemption. For these giants. They were just pure wickedness. Period. They were made that way. The Bible says God hath created all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. That's weird. Yeah, God really said that. He's created even the wicked for himself. For the day of evil. I don't quite understand it. But hey, this is not my rule book. It's not my universe. It's God. He can do whatever he wants. 
the Bible says the wicked go astray from the womb. They speak lies as soon as they be born. It's hard to comprehend that. The Bible talks about in the, in the New Testament that these are vessels of wrath, fitted, meaning prepared ahead of time, for God's destruction. Vessels of wrath, prepared for God's destruction. Jude talks about, in, in the, on the start, at the start of Jude, it says that these were men of old, before of old, ordained to this condemnation. It's like they were preordained to this condemnation. I don't know, but it's the truth. The wicked are wicked. The wheat and the tares. There's nothing that a tear, a weed, can do to become wheat. It's just something you have to accept. Well, that's not fair. Well, I'm sorry, but it's just, it is the facts. Thank God we're not the tares. <laughs> you know? So, going further here, um, Noah's very uneasy at what they did. He tried to change them. But seeing that they would not yield to him, but were slaves of their wicked pleasures, he was afraid that they would kill him together with his wife and children. Those uh, they had married, so he departed out of the land. And this is in reference to when he made the ark. The early church father, Irenaeus, Irenaeus, added that the angels used women not only to sire giants, but taught them enchantments specifically for the purpose of casting lust potions to lure both men and angels to their beds. Man, how disgusting is that? Hey, you can go up on the internet now. Oh, love potion. Get the man you want, or get the woman you want. But a lot of it's geared toward the women when it comes to that type of stuff. I'm not being chauvinistic, I'm just saying it is. And so, this Irenaeus says, and this is quoted, this early church father is quoted as saying, and for a very long while, wickedness extended and spread, and reached and laid hold upon the whole race of mankind, until a very small seed of righteousness remained among them, and illicit unions took place upon the earth. Since the angels, this is Genesis 6 he's talking about, since the angels were united with the daughters of the race of mankind, and they bore to them sons for whom their exceeding greatness they were called giants. And the angels brought as presents to their wives teachings of wickedness, in that they brought them the virtues of roots and herbs, dyeing in colors, meaning dyes, you dye your clothes, and cosmetics. Now this is a guy from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, an early church father saying this. This is the second one. See, they were well aware this wasn't a godly line of Seth that came down and had the, which is what is taught in the modern day cemeteries, I mean seminaries today, to the pastors so that they don't believe any of this stuff. Because it's not palatable. Oh, this, this would scare people. Even though it's one of the main things we should be learning about or be aware of. This is what they did. Because Genesis 6 doesn't go into this that much. Doesn't get into this kind of detail. What he's saying. We're going to look at this. They brought them the virtues of roots and herbs. You think of a witch around a cauldron, eye of newt, you know, toe of frog or whatever they put in there, different herbs. I don't think frogs have toes. I don't know. Anyway, um, dyeing in colors and cosmetics. They dis and the discovery of rare substances, love potions, aversions, amours, concupiscence, constraints of love, spells of bewitchment, and all the sorcery and idolatry hateful to God. The fallen angels talking. Where did mankind learn this stuff? 
You better believe it was from fallen angels. They weren't going to just come up with this stuff on their own. By the entry, and I'm going back to the quote, by the entry of which things into the world, evil extended and spread. Why would the fallen angels teach their wives these things? Because they knew that's how wickedness would propagate through witchcraft. The backbone of the coming one world religious new world order system is witchcraft. Period. It's, it's witchcraft. I've done a whole teaching on that. Key in witchcraft. In the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com. This is just further evidence of that. We're going back to Genesis 6. This is when all the stuff was going on. When the women were being taught this stuff. And then they were probably retaught it again. When the giants reappeared on the earth after the flood. So by the entry of these things into the world, evil extended and spread while righteousness was diminished and enfeebled. Okay, where else is this talked about? Book of Enoch. Now, before you say, oh, come on, give me a break. The book of Enoch is referenced in the Bible and confirmed in many places the things that the book of Enoch said. I'm not saying the book of Enoch is scripture. I use it as a commentary. That's it. And there's only one book of Enoch I reference, it's the blue hardback cover published by a Baptist press with all the KGV cross-references wherever the book of Enoch says something and it is confirmed in the King James Bible. And there's numerous references to that. I give you the link at the end of this. Actually, I give you the little report on that. And I've done a study where I talked about it. And I give you the links to those. I'm not saying it's scripture, but it's a commentary. Just like we just read two commentaries from two early church fathers saying exactly what the book of Enoch says. Where does it say it? Book of Enoch chapter 7. Here it says, And all the others took, these are the fallen angels, and all the others together with them took unto them wives, and each chose for himself one, and they began to go in unto them, the fallen angels, and to defile themselves with them. Why? Because this was an unnatural union. Fallen angel, woman. Not a good combo. And they taught them, the fallen angels taught them, charms and enchantments. And the cutting of roots. These are where the original witches were. These are the original witches of humanity. They taught them charms and enchantments and the cutting of roots and made them acquainted with plants. The ones they could use for nefarious purposes. Hey man, all plants are good, man. I'm just going to go out and smoke some Mary Joanna. Yeah, you better be real careful what plant you're messing with. Well, the coca plant's good. They make cocaine from that. Yeah, okay, great example. What about the poppy plant? They make heroin from that. Yeah, another great example. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, I'm, I'm just, hopefully you get the point there. Anyway, made them acquainted with plants. And they became, why? Why did they make them, well, because the mind-altering kind, like opium, like coca, like marijuana, you get into an altered state of consciousness. Hey, demons, come in and infest me. Opens those doors for demonic possession. Some of them are prerequisite that you do these in order for your witchcraft to work. Because they have a demonic component to them. Be careful. And they became pregnant and bare great giants who consumed all the acquisitions of men. And when men could no longer sustain them, the giants, the giants turned against them and devoured mankind. What is one of the hallmarks? If you let Satan just go and go and go and go and give Satan whatever he wants, 
where will that ultimately end up? Look at some races in the Bible or like the Mayans or the Aztecs. Where does that always end up? Human sacrifice and eating body and cannibalization and going around naked and eating other people. Sacrificing your children. If you allow Satan to just do whatever he wants unchecked and unfettered in any civilization, it's always going to end up in human sacrifice. Always going to end up in, in, in uh, like Sodom and Gomorrah, men with men, women with women, pedophilia, cannibalization, drinking of blood, which is forbidden, eating each other, cannibalization. I mean, can you imagine anything more wicked than the things I just described? That's where he always ends up. So this shouldn't be any any surprise to us. The giants turned against them and devoured mankind. And they began to sin against the birds and the beasts and reptiles and fish and to devour one another's flesh and drink the blood. Never supposed to drink blood, even to this day. Make sure your meat is cooked properly. And don't eat any of those stinking sausages that have like blood pudding and all that other garbage. You're bringing a curse on yourself. I'm telling you, you shouldn't be eating or drinking blood. The Bible says that the drinking of blood, the forbidding, it says it's a perpetual covenant. It's it's not, that's not something that ever expired. What do vampires do? Drink blood? What do all these nefarious creatures of the night that you always see depicted from Hollywood or whatever do? Well, most of them drink blood. The blood's, the life of the body is in the blood. It's not meant to be drink, drank. So, I've done teachings on that too, just key in blood in the keyword search box. And then the earth laid accusation against the lawless ones after all this stuff had been done. It's like the innocent blood of Abel or the innocent blood of all the babies crying out from the land, laying accusation to God for all of this wickedness and evil. God has to bring judgment. In this case, he had to destroy the whole earth because the whole, whole, all of humanity had been totally defiled. He had to send a flood on the earth to kill everything. Why? Because they had even sinned against the birds, the beasts, the reptiles, the fish. They had obviously defiled the genetics of mankind through the giants. I'm not saying every single person was defiled genetically, but they were defiled from a spiritual level because of what they had unleashed on the planet. God had no choice but to destroy the whole world and start over again. It was through God's mercy that this actually happened. Next chapter, chapter 8. And Azazel, who was a fallen angel, taught men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates and make known to them the metals of the earth and the art of working them. Why? So they could go to war and kill one another. Not to say that you cannot use a weapon in, in the defensive thing like a gun, but in this particular case, <laughs> the, obviously the agenda there was that man would kill man. And and then he also taught in bracelets and ornaments and the use of antimony. Antimony is a type of uh, element that is sulfur-based. And I'm not exactly sure how they were using antimony, but... Um, then it goes on to say, and the beautifying of the eyelids. Was that was that mascara? Makeup or eyeliner? Eyeshadow. <laughs> Just telling you, women, ladies, you may not want to hear this stuff, but this is where this stuff I believe originated from. I'm sorry. 
You know, oh no, makeup's all good. It's, it's all of God. Hmm, okay. You take that one to God. Um, so, he taught them the bracelets, the ornaments, the use of antimony, the beautifying of the eyelids, and all kinds of costly stones, and all coloring tinctures. Why? Make yourself more beautiful to the man so you can seduce him. Don't tell me that's not what the makeup industry is about. Which is a gigantic multi-billion dollar industry on planet Earth. Sorry, I'm just telling you. I mean, you know, you can shoot the messenger, but probably lose a lot of listeners from that. But, you know, I might therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. And there arose much godlessness. And so what was the fruit of all this? Okay, bracelets, ornaments, use of antimony, beautifying of the eyelids, and all kinds of costly stones, and all coloring tinctures. What was the fruit? And there arose much godlessness. Hmm, not really good fruit. And they committed fornication. Why did they put all that stuff on? To lure men. The wiles of the woman. Okay, she had an attire of an harlot. Essentially, is what we're talking about here. Bible's very clear on that. If you go into Proverbs and elsewhere. And they committed fornication and they were led astray and became corrupt in all their ways. Sounds like the devil was really concerned about the women doing these things. Using witchcraft in conjunction with all this other stuff. In order to, so that they would commit fornication. And they were led astray and became corrupt in all their ways. Samjaza taught enchantments. And this is another fallen angel. And root cuttings. Amaros, the resolving of enchantments. Because, hey, when you got witchcraft, if you do a spell, you might have to resolve the spell or compensate for it. Baraquail taught astrology, which is interlinked with witchcraft. Not astronomy, but astrology. The zodiac and all that garbage. Now, see the last title of this in this PDF for my report on the Book of Enoch. Because I have a whole little thing on there. Okay? Again, commentary. Properly apply it. While the prophet Daniel called certain powerful angels watchers in canonical scripture, Daniel 4.13, 7, and 23, it was an apocryphal book of Enoch that first described their cosmic conspiracy. We read, All Enoch is, in certain parts, particularly toward the beginning, is just an expansion of Genesis 6. This is 1 Enoch 10, verses 3-8. And I, Enoch, was blessing the Lord of majesty and the king of ages. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) And lo, the watchers called me. These were the good watchers, I believe. Enoch the scribe and said unto me, Enoch, thou scribe of righteousness... Remember, Enoch, it said, Enoch walked with the Lord and then he was not. God took him. Him and Elijah were the only two people in the Old Testament that did not die. They're the only two. So Enoch was a pretty good guy. I mean, I I wouldn't have been worthy to be around the guy. Him and Elijah. Elijah taken up the chariot of fire. Enoch, it says, God took him. 
We're talking one of the most righteous men that ever lived on the planet. Woo! Man, that's heavy duty. Praise the Lord. Enoch, thou scribe of righteousness, go... Now, these are the good angels telling him this. Enoch, thou scribe of righteousness, go, declare to the watchers of the heaven who have left the high heaven. Remember, they left their habitation. The Bible talks about that. We're going to look at these verses in a second. Who have left the high heaven, the holy eternal place, and have defiled themselves with women. These are the fallen angels of Genesis 6. And have done as the children of earth do, and have taken unto themselves wives. Ye have wrought great destruction on the earth. This is what they're Enoch's supposed to tell them. And ye shall have no peace nor forgiveness of sin. It's funny, Enoch is like, he's like the mediator between, between both groups. And he's just a human. And he's like taking this message from like God to go to the wicked watchers. And then Enoch goes and tells them this stuff and they like wail and, and freak out because they realize they're, they're, they're eternally damned. And here Enoch, this human, is telling these fallen angels, and they're acting like big babies. I mean, if you read, if you go and read Enoch, that's what basically happens. You know? Anyway, I I thought that that was interesting. Uh, It says, Ye have wrought great destruction on the earth, and ye shall have no peace nor forgiveness of sin, inasmuch as they delight themselves in their children, the Nephilim, the giants. That was their, that was their pride and joy. These giants. These disgusting, evil, vile, wicked devils that consumed all the acquisitions of men and then turned on man and consumed him and drank his blood and defiled the reptile. Oh, these are our pride and joy. Look look at how good they are. This is how darkened the mind of the fallen angels have become. Because they were cut off from God. So their minds became darkened. They left. The high heaven, the holy eternal place, so that they could have sexual relations with women. Are they out of their minds? I, don't, I can't comprehend that. I mean, it, it'd be one thing if you're a man or something, and, and you went, but these are people, these are entities that literally lived in heaven. I, I just can't even comprehend that. What were they thinking? I don't know, Satan's good at what he does. I guess he, whatever, tempted them and convinced them. Inasmuch as they delight themselves in their children, the Nephilim, the murderer of their beloved ones, shall they see. The murder of their beloved ones, shall they see. When? The flood. 40 days and 40 nights. It's a lot of water. (laughs) They can't swim that long. (laughs) The murder of their beloved ones, the Nephilim, shall they see. And over the destruction of their children shall they lament. And shall make supplication unto eternity. They're going to have the audacity to pray to God. These fallen angels. But mercy and peace shall they not attain. End of quote. No, you made your bed. You're going to lie in it, big boy. So, where did these specific fallen angels wind up? Now I add this in. I add a lot in on a lot of teachings. Well, where does, it, where does it talk specifically where these angels wound up? These fallen angels of Genesis 6. 2 Peter 2, 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, these are the angels from Genesis 6, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, 
the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now, isn't that funny that these specific fallen angels that are cast down to a specific spot in hell, that's only, that word for hell is the word Tartaru, or Tartarus, in the Greek. It's only used one time in the Bible, in the, in the New Testament. What is it? It is the deepest abyss of hell. It is the name of the subterranean region, doleful and dark. It's a specific compartment of hell where these specific angels were cast down to hell and reserved and delivered in a change of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. It's not like where everyone else is, in, like humans. I believe it's a special compartment. It's a special word that's only used once in the Bible. And isn't it funny that when it says, God spared not these angels but cast them down to Tartarus, delivered him into chains of darkness, that it's, it's in lockstep with the next verse where it says, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world of the ungodly. Because the flood happened at the same time that this was going on. So these two verses are in total unison and confirm, cross-confirm one another. We're dealing with the same time period. According to Enoch, 200 of these powerful angels departed from the high heaven and used women, among other things, to procreate their progeny into mankind's plane of existence. 200 of them fell at Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon. According to Enoch. Mount Hermon, which is associated with some evil stuff. I've done a whole teaching on the tribe of Dan in Mount Hermon. Key in Mount Hermon or Dan. Tribe of Dan. Heavy duty stuff. <laughs> when I, I lived in Fort Myers, I go by this one, I think it was a Baptist church, and it was Mount Hermon Baptist. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Mount Hermon. And then there's a college up here called Mars Hill College. <laughs> Mars Hill, which is the place in Acts that was like the, the highest point in the city in, I forget what town, but it was where it was where they 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 called onto all their high gods, and they it, it, it's where like the max idolatry took place on Mars Hill, essentially. Well, let me just read this because I know if I don't do this, people will be coming back. Oh, you should have known this for all the Athenians and strangers. Strangers, this is Acts 17.21, for all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the ascription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. God that made the world and all the things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwell not in the temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath in all things, and hath made of one blood all nations for to dwell on the face of earth, and have determined the times therefore appointed, and the bounds of their habitation. So, Paul was straightening them out regarding this whole thing with Mars Hill. Okay? And, <laughs> Mars Hill. Okay, we looked that up the actual underlying Greek. Okay? Okay, from Ares, what does it mean? The name of the Greek deity of war. Mars. The planet Mars is the red planet. It's the planet of basically the Greek deity of war. 
Okay? And you're going to name your Christian college Mars Hill? It also, um, it was the Rocky Heights in the city of Athens, uh, opposite the western end of the Acropolis toward the east. The hill belonged to Ares, or Mars, the god Mars, the god of war, and it was called Mars Hill. So called because, as the story went, Mars, having slain Herotheus, son of Neptune, for an attempted violation of his daughter, Eclipi, was tried for murder here before the twelve gods as judges. The place was the location where the judges convened, who by the appointment of Solon had jurisdiction of capital offenses, as willful murder, arson, poisoning, malicious wounding, and such. The court itself was called Oropagus, from the place where it sat also... Um, also, to that hill, the Apostle Paul was not led to defend himself before judges, but that he might set forth his opinions on divine subjects to a greater multitude of people flocking together there and eager to hear something new. So this is where, this is where like all of this supposed, these gods convened to judge this particular matter. It was, <laughs> it was named after, you know, the god Mars or the god of war. It belonged, it said, to the god Mars. And you're going to name your Christian college after that. Anyway, that's a total sidebar there. But I thought I'd throw that in. Um, anyway, let's go further here. So, back to the article. Um, these 200 powerful uh, angels fell at Mount Hermon. In other words, they wanted to incarnate themselves into the material world. The New Testament also suggests this idea when Jude, the brother of our Lord, Jesus Christ, wrote. Jude 1.6 and the angels which kept not their first estate, meaning their first habitation, their, their abode, high heaven, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. Now this confirms those verses in um, First Peter that we just read. Okay, or Second Peter, I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter 2 that we just read. And then it goes on to give it even more specifics. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication. What did the fallen angels do? They gave themselves over to fornication and women. Well, they're comparing them now to Sodom and Gomorrah, which gave themselves over to fornication, men with men. And going after strange flesh. Men with men is going after strange flesh. It's a crime against nature. It's an abomination of God's sight. Angels going after women is also going after strange flesh. It's an abomination in God's sight. Now, and these are set forth an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So, it all ties together here with all this stuff. These fallen angels apparently sought to extend themselves into earthly bodies. The watchers wanted to leave their proper sphere of existence in order to enter earth's three-dimensional reality. They viewed women, or at least their genetic material, as part of the formula for accomplishing this task. As cited in Enoch, above, the ancient record suggests that watchers modify animals as well. Now, where do we see, is there anything that we see in the Bible that talks about, well, we know about the giants, a lot about the giants. Well, is there anything else? First Chronicles 11.22, Benoni, who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. Also, he went down and slew a lion in a pit on a snowy day. That's one bad dude. <laughs> it's David's mighty men, man. These guys were... 
<laughs> they were not guys you want to mess with. I'm telling you. So, First Chronicle, and then the next verse. And he slew an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits high, probably roughly seven and a half feet. And in the Egyptian's hand was a spear like a weaver's beam. It could have been more than that, though. Depends on how they're defining a cubit. And in his hand was a spear like a weaver's beam. And he went down to him with a staff and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. That's one bad dude. <laughs> so anyway, Second uh, Samuel 21.15, Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. And Ishbabinob, which was the son, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai smote the Philistine and killed him, one of David's mighty men. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob, and then Sibachai, and, uh, and then Sibachai slew Saph whose actual name means tall, slew Saph, which was one of the sons of the giant. Okay? And there was again a battle at Gob with the Philistines, where Elanon slew the brother of Goliath the Gittite. Goliath slew the brother. The staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. They were all brothers, I believe. Okay? And yet there was a, and there was yet a battle in Gath where was a man of great stature that he had on his hand six fingers and six and on every foot six toes remember six being you know not a great great number there well he had six fingers and six toes 20 4 and 20 in number he must have been hard when he went to get fitted for shoes kind of rough anyway um and he was born of the giant and when he had defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the brother of David, slew him. These four, these four giants, were born to the giant in Gath, and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Now, this is something I'm about to tell you. is really, really awesomely, praise God, cool. Four brothers... These four were born to the giant in Gath. That means they were all brothers. Giant, Goliath was one of their brothers too. Because it says that Elanon, Elanon slew the brother of Goliath the giant. The Gittite. Okay, that was one of the giants we're talking about here. So they were all brothers. Goliath and his four wicked, vile brothers. How many rocks did David pick up in the stream or in the in the when in the valley or whatever where he went over to slow Goliath, he picked up five. He only needed to use one to get the job done. Supernaturally, God guided that rock right into his forehead, and he died, Goliath. But he picked up five. The other four were for his brothers. That don't get you fired up, your wood's wet. Now, I understand, literally, he didn't use those on his brothers, but it was symbolic. He probably knew Goliath had five, had four brothers. So, he was, he was thinking ahead of time. <laughs> I just think that's so awesome, you know. Granted, his mighty men did it, but it was under David. They did it. 
He had four brothers, and they all ended up dying. I think that is just totally awesome. Anyway, wanted to throw that in there. Scripture uses other names to describe the descendants of the fallen angels and their descendants, in addition to the word Nephilim. They are Rephaim, from the root word Rapha, which means spirits. See Genesis 14.5. Or Anakim, race of giants. Uh, see Numbers 13.33, were the descendants of the Nephilim. These are all linked links, too. Emum, which are the proud deserters, the terrors, the race of giants. See Genesis 14.5. The Zoom, Zazumim, Zuzim, Zuzim, I'm sorry. Zuzim, the evil ones, or, are also known as the roaming things. See Genesis 14.5. And the Zamzumin, Zazumims, or also known as the evil plotters of Deuteronomy 2.20. Okay, so we have this hybrid race particularly emphasized in the Old Testament. Now, you want to know a little bit more about that? Uh, I give you my links to my teachings on the Nephilim here, two teachings. I've already kind of given the links, but I reiterate a couple of them here. So let's go further. Um, Even the Old Testament contains references to the mutations that developed among humans among this time frame. Actually, you know what? Mm. Let me see something. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and end part three here. And we're going to go to part four, which will be hopefully the final part, and kind of tidy this teaching up. So God bless you. See you in part four.